en een hartelike goeie morgen. Welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord. En Psalm 119, sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraag laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendlik kan worstel nie. Kry dus gauw jou Bijbel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. En een goeiemorgen, waar jy ook al is, skrifteerlik, verseker, onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte, en as jy pastoor Rocky Stevenson van Aangezicht tot Aangezicht wil ontmoet, op YouTube, Radio Kansel is een kanaal daar, kan jy gaan kyk, hy sit in die atelier onder die Radio Kansel logo, en ook op Facebook kan jy die program volg. So, warm hearted good morning to you, follow us on YouTube, on Facebook, but first and foremost to my brother in Christ, Rocky Stevenson, good morning. Good morning to you. How are you keeping, sir? Good morning. Very well. Thank you, Vainant. Wonderful to be here. Yeah, indeed. A privilege yet again that we have to share in God's Word this morning. Delving, diving into the Word of God, seeking answers to the questions that you and I might have. Grijp gauw pen en papier. Ek gaan vir jou een nommer gee. En as jy daar die nommer gebruik, dan kan jou vraag instuur vir ons na die atelier toe hier by Radio Kansel. Onthou, ons vat nie voice notes nie, ons vat nie telefoon oproepen nie, maar net uitgetikte WhatsApp. Een boodskap is sit is een briefie skrifgedeelte by, het maak het altyd net soveel makkelijker en ek sien thuis Swannepoel daar uit Amams en Toti is reeds bezig om saam te gesels op WhatsApp. Thuisie, goeiemorgen, broer in die heren en groete van Marihaan Daso. So, do stay tuned for until 12 o'clock this morning. Here's the number, 082 have you got that? 082 on your WhatsApp, uh, type in 082 on your contacts, type in 082, then 657, the frequency on which we broadcast, then the number 2, and then 729. Don't despair. If you've missed out on that, we'll be giving it throughout the program. Gaan ons gesels daar oor en sal ons die selnummer weer eens heel wat kere deurgee. So as jy dit dalk uitgemis het, 0826572729. Rocky, I want to start off just with something that we had quickly talked about in studio before coming to to studio uh, that we spoke about in the office and you mentioned something very important you spoke about the prevalence of prayer prevailing prayer uh, to 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 be steadfast in prayer we've got scriptures we love quoting scriptures we uh, are holier than thou if if i may put it that way i know i'm stepping out on thin ice here but the lord says many times it's an idle lip service and a life that denies Christ, uh, even though we, we seem to be uh, Christian-like. And what role does prayer play in our Christian lives in South Africa? Because we're trusting mm. the Lord for revival. I mean, day after, what is it, weekend after this weekend coming, it's time to rise in Bloemfontein. They, they're trusting the Lord for a revival. Christians are crying out for revival. Mm-hmm. What what role does prayer yeah, play? I, I think absolutely pivotal. And part of the problem maybe of why we don't pray is we don't really believe that God hears prayer or that God works by prayer. 
and and it may be possible that we've also slumped into kind of a theological slump where we know the theological truths and we think about even something like the sovereignty of God has become something that um, almost has lost its savor in the mind of the of the Christian. And we think of sovereignty almost like God is playing on both sides of the chessboard. And that almost diminishes then the necessity of prayer. Because if we're thinking about sovereignty in the sense of meticulous kind of God having every single atom under his control in such a meticulous fashion that there's almost no room for any movement, no room for choice, no room for uh, for any kind of a, um, you know aspect of human will in that sense, then then I think we've got it wrong to that degree, and and I think that that's maybe what has happened in many a heart. We tend to think that there's no need for us to sow, there's no need for us to um, go out and harvest. There's no and the Bible uses these terminologies in regard to the giving of the gospel, the watering of the gospel the sowing of the field, the reaping of the field. It's farming terms. But imagine if we had this concept that, well, all we had to do is sit back and let God do all the farming. Then I think our concept regarding who God is and our our thinking in regard to pleading with God um, is diminished. And so I do think that something like prayer is a forgotten work in our world. And so prayer is so absolutely essential. Elijah was a man like us, and that's what James says, and he prayed earnestly, and God stopped the heavens from raining. And then again, he prayed again, and the Lord opened the heavens, and it rained. And yet God told Elijah that he was going to stop the rain. And God told Elijah that he was going to start the rain. And yet Elijah prayed. And so that aspect of God's sovereignty and the responsibility of man is so critical because prayer works. That that is God's way and it's his means of of doing work in this world is by prayer. And he's told us this in his word, but we tend to ignore it. And so I do think in our country, maybe a lot of the the problem is that we've become too distracted right. and um and we've we've forgotten the necessity of prayer uh, rocky so yes 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 the the crunch the 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 punchline i want to ask you the bible says do not be like heathens using lots of words and repetition mm. and no, mantras and all right mm. so what do we pray we're, we're, you know we had a discussion of men coming together even at our church uh, early in the morning lots of guys coming mm. together to pray because we we trust God for revival. We trust God for restoration. What are we mm. then to pray? How are we praying? Sometimes it's a quick little prayer, Lord, help me. Mm. Lord, mm. it's me, Vainant. What are we to pray when we come together? What are we to pray when we go into our inner room and lock the door? Yeah. Uh, if we are not to, to do, as the Bible says, you know, this flood of words, yes. is it the intent of the heart? Yeah, I think I think that we we ought to pray scripturally, and and what's helpful with that is when we know the Psalms and we say, "Search me, O Lord, and know my heart, and see if there be any way in me that is inconsistent with you, if there's any way in me that is sinful against you." I do think that at, when we think in in particular about revival, the very first place to start is to have a right view of who our Savior is, and then also a right view of what we are as sinners. And the deceptive um, element of our own hearts and the yeah. fact that, Lord, there's, if there's something in me that I've become deceived with, and that's something so sad about sin, is that sin is 
in, in its very core deceptive and it's blinding, it's deafening. Yeah. And so we, we ask the Spirit of God, is there areas inside of me that need the light of the Word of God to shine brightly once more and cleanse me out? Yeah. Because we cannot have revival if we are not holy before the Lord. Without yeah. holiness, we cannot please the Lord. And the reality is that much of what our, our Christian worldview is so often unholy. We tend to have moralism. We tend to have pharisaicism. We tend to have this kind of moralistic view that we need to clean up our own act or experientialism. But none of those things is uh, ways that we can please the Lord. Yeah. We can only please him with holiness. And without holiness, we will not see the Lord. Without faith, we cannot please him. And and so I do think that the the number one area that we ought to be praying about as individuals is, Lord, search my heart, see if there's any way in me that is not Psalms pleasing to you. Psalms 139, the very and, last two verses. And please, cleanse me out that yeah. I might have a new walk with you and that my heart would be changed. And that would be the private prayer, but then also the corporate prayer, even as men assemble together to pray, having that honesty before God where we are not actually trying to make ourselves seem better or make others seem worse, like what you were mentioning regarding the pharisaical kind of an element. And even you think about those two men coming into the temple to pray. You have the yeah. one that is lifting up his hands and he's saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that other man over yeah, there. Yeah. And the other man down there is he's looking down and he's beating his breast and he's thanking God for who he is. And so there would be another element, I believe, of our prayers is our gratitude and looking at is there ways that we're not as filled with gratitude before God as believers what are areas that we should be giving him thanks because yeah. thanksgiving is part of this sacrifice that yeah. of the life of the christian yeah. that we ought to be giving and um and then also commending to him our own preaching you know i'm reminded of somebody like charles spurgeon who had a, an absolutely amazing ministry in london at the tabernacle there and one of the you know people would come and ask him what is the secret to the success that you have and he would take them to the prayer room and he'd show them the saints that were in prayer sometimes up to 200 300 saints wow. uh, that were interceding for god to do a work in their day and and even somebody like charles finney who would talk about prevailing prayer and then powerful preaching going hand in hand you think of even the apostles back in acts chapter 6 when there was this distraction amongst them because there was the first tension believe it or not was amongst the older women in the church the widows between the feeding of the hellenistic widows and then the hebrew widows and there was tension that arose and that's where we first see the the first group of godly deacons in a sense seven men that were filled with the spirit of god that were chosen from amongst the disciples and the reason that the that the apostles give they said it's not good for us to be now waiting on tables instead of in preaching and prayer. And so even those men saw the prayer element as so yeah. critical. Even yeah. when our Lord was ascending on high and he told them to go back to Jerusalem to wait for the, yeah. for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which would come 10 days later, they devoted themselves to, to prayer. Pray. Yeah. And they went and they prayed. And, and the Lord in his mercy sends the Holy Spirit to these men in that upper room yeah. that were busy praying. And so I, I definitely do think that um, that we live in a day where we have forgotten about that element of the prevailing prayer. And we ought to go to our Lord and ask him, please revive once more a work within us that we would ourselves humble ourselves and come to you in prayer. Right, Rocky, I know uh, we we have so many people, and by God's grace, we do not know who's listening right now. But you're addressing men and women, my last question, before we're moving on. 
what we, would we say to men and women listening now? Because we have this expectancy about revival in our country. Well, we're in desperate need of revival. Hmm. What, what would your message then be with regards to him and her listening right yeah, now? I, 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 think, I think be honest with the Lord as a listener and think about the way you are in your home with your wife or with your husband and with your children. And then realize that that person that you are with your wife, your husband, your children at home, and even who you are when you are alone, is the real person that you are before God. When nobody is watching. When nobody is watching. And God is omniscient. He sees you wherever you are. And I think that that should move us towards one of two things. One, either to toward a gratefulness that we that we are the same person, whether we are alone or whether we are with um, people, or it should move us towards repentance. And I do think that we need to be moved towards a repentance as individuals in our country as well as as a whole in our country regarding the fake kind of a living that we have so often in our world and that fake plastic kind of a Christianity that so often prevails in our churches. And then we go before the Lord in that quiet place, find a spot where you can be alone before him and where you can cry out to him and as it were, you know, in that illustration of kind of a, a wrestling with God like a Jacob did, you know, go wrestle with the Lord and beg him to move in in your life and to change you out because we need to be cleaned out from the inside outward. Too much of what we see is like that whitewashed pharisaical kind of an existence where we have the outside seemingly good but we put makeup on a corpse and we walk in around as the walking dead and we need a work of God within the heart where we can know that he has moved in and therefore he's busy cleaning us out and then to be revived from the inside out and the first place that we're going to start to see that is within that home environment with your children with your wife with your husband where you are so repentant before God that before man you're not so worried anymore because if you've bowed the knee before God you can stand before anybody else but the problem is we're not bowing before the Lord and we, we try and force ourselves to stand in front of one another and we have this fake reality that yeah. um, starts to settle in and we need to move away from that right. and so cry out to the lord jesus christ move in lord change my heart and um, cause me to be born again in that sense and and maybe you've been walking in disobedience and backslidden state um before the lord and and you know it then the holy spirit is pressing on you there and sadly we so often cause a callous over our 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 conscience and the Holy Spirit is the one that can break through um, because he, is, he uses the word of God which is sharper than a two-edged sword and it discerns between thoughts and intentions of the heart. It goes right there between soul and spirit. And so then open the word of God. Go to something like Psalm 51. Go and read it. Go and see it. Go and meditate on it and let the Lord work within your heart and then cause you to be cleaned out from the inside toward the out. Oh, we do. Six five seven two seven two nine. You've got a question? Send it in. Scriptural. Searching the scriptures with you, my brother, my sister. Bless your heart. Thank you for being tuned in. This uh, WhatsApp says uh, one Corinthians five nine. Good morning, Valant Rocky. One Corinthians five nine. 
The topic of the church discussed specifically addressing the removal of two individuals engaged in sin and the prohibition of sharing meals with such a person. The question, how can we apply these principles outlined in this text to our own personal lives? Are these principles applicable beyond the church context? And if so, how can they be extended? Quite a number mm. of questions in there. Mm. What do we answer the brother? Yeah, wonderful, wonderful question. Let me read the section in First Corinthians 5 from verse 9 to 13. It says this, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not at all mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the greedy and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or greedy or an idolater or a reveler, um, reviler, sorry, or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have what have I to do with judging outsiders? Are you not to judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside? God will judge. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So the Apostle Paul here is addressing the church at Corinth, in particular in regard to this. Uh, there was a situation where a man was presumed to have been with his father's wife. Yes. And so that's probably his stepmother. It could have even been his biological mother, but the way that the text is written, it would seem that that was his stepmother. And that was something that even in the Greek culture was unheard of, yet it was um, allowed inside of the church of God. And in a sense, they became even boastful in a sense saying, well, you know, look at how God's grace has extended to us even in this. And Paul writes and he says, well, you're not to have any association with an individual like that who is unrepentant in their sin. And that's the key element, unrepentant in their sin. And even the, the, the area that where there is repentance over sin, there is still consequence over sin. And so that consequence must be played out and must be allowed to be played out. And the scriptures even teach us that when there is no consequence to sin, then sin abounds. And the church of God is called to be holy. If God would not even put up with somebody like the devil who became unholy in his presence and he cast him out of heaven, how can we then think that we can come into his presence without holiness? And again, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so Paul makes this distinction and he says, when somebody says, I am a Christian, but then they live in such a way that is not in line with the profession of a Christian and where they are not sensitive to sin and when they are not sensitive to righteousness and where they are not sensitive towards the scriptures, that is somebody that you're not to associate with. That is somebody that's actually of the class of what Judas is. That is somebody that is an apostate. How can somebody say they love Jesus, but they ignore Jesus' word? And so that's what Paul is really pushing towards. So how do we apply this in our own lives? And I think that's part of the question here, is holiness and separation. So holiness and separation. That means that we are to be a people that do not associate with those that claim to be Christians, but live like the world. We need to be a holy people, and we need to be a separate people. We must separate ourselves from that kind of a, a lewd type of a living. But Paul makes it quite clear. He says this is specific, actually, for those that call themselves Christians but are living still like this. Because if I were to tell you to separate yourself from everybody that's unholy, you actually just wouldn't be able to live in this world. Yeah. We live in this world, and we take the gospel to this world. But we must smell different, sound different, be different, 
than what the world is. They need to be able to see in us the hope that we have in Christ and even start to wonder, why, what is it that is about this Vainant or this Rocky or this individual? What is it that sound? Why do they sound so different? Why do they have a different hope in them? And we need to live differently for that very reason. So part of this holiness as well, Second Corinthians 6 verse 17 to 7 verse 1 says this, Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we can apply then the principles of separation and the principles of uh, of separating from, in particular, the unrepentant sin that is there within somebody within the church. Now, again, the next principle would be that of church discipline. And church discipline is outlined for us in Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17. Inside of the church context, church discipline is incredibly important. I think today what is difficult is that we have so many different churches on each corner that too often a person might be disciplined in one church but welcomed into another church as long as he brings a tithe with him. (laughs) And I think that is part of the problem and maybe even the, the, you know, the invention of the motor vehicle because, you know, you used to be able to go to the church that was in your parish, you know, that little section of the neighborhood that you were in, you would be in walking distance. But now because you've got a motor vehicle, you can drive eight kilometers down the road or 10 kilometers down the road to the next place that you so please. But Matthew eighteen fifteen to 17 provides this clear framework of addressing personal offense within the church. And the process then of addressing that in particular is because you want to see restoration happen. Restoration between this individual and God and you in this individual and the church context. And there, when there's no repentance, you to bring witnesses. And those witnesses are there to also see, well, is the charge that you bring in really a sinful charge as the one that has been offended? Or, um, you know, is it? Is this something that the witness needs to see that, hey, this is a a person that's rejecting repentance here. And that then moves on towards the whole broader church element in regard to church discipline. And there's a model for restoring that personal conflict and the maintenance or the maintenance of the personal holiness of the church. But then also this applies in regard to fellowship with believers. So while avoiding those close associations with somebody that is persisting in sin on the flip side of this we should seek fellowship with fellow believers and that's something that the word of god actually encourages us towards and i do think sadly in our day it would seem that there's a dearth of true christian fellowship amongst believers we almost are too scared to get involved in anybody's life around us because we're too scared to have that conflict conflict later on when there is sin but if we're not close enough to one another how can we as iron sharpen iron so there is that principle of i think um looking at your own life and going am i doing what something like hebrews 10 verse 25 encourages us to do which is to not neglect the assembling together of ourselves because if we're neglecting that we're never going to know each other intimately enough to actually see holiness developing one another's life and as i mentioned earlier sin can be blinding there's some there's times that i need my brother vainan to see something in me to say hey this is something in you rocky that actually like the spirit of god is 
is is revealing about yeah. your character that needs to be worked on yeah. and that's something that you can only have where there's true fellowship with one another but I, I do think that there's an importance that is that is laid up here in regard to when somebody is erring in sin and they are unrepentant of it and you've gone through the processes of church discipline it is important that you do not even associate with such an individual hoping for their repentance hoping that they would also see the fact that that this is something that's very serious before God and I think that we sometimes are too scared to offend somebody but is it better to offend somebody when we are holding to the truth of God's word and that person come to repentance or is it better to just tap them on the back and say hey you're doing so well and then the Lord says to them get away from me I never knew you if we really love the souls of people we will think seriously about sin and we will think seriously about the Savior and then I guess a last, um, the last two elements that come to mind is repentance and forgiveness. When somebody has truly repented, we need to forgive. You know, Luke 17 verse 3 to 4 says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So there's the charge from Jesus our Lord. Um, you know, the people that come today and say, Oh, but how dare you judge and etc., etc., we are commanded to judge fellow Christians. We're not commanded to judge those that are outside of the church. Yeah. They already are under judgment. And that's what we see even our Lord Jesus saying in John, in John chapter 3. But yeah, we see it. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Jesus said that. And if he repents, forgive him. We should be a people that come to one another and rebuke one another if they sin. And we say, here's what the Bible says. And here's what I'm seeing in you. And we should be able to have that open, honest fellowship with one another that does that. And then when the person is actually repentant, what should we do? Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. That's what our Lord Jesus says regarding that. And then we need to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. If we are walking by the Spirit as Christians, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Therefore, if we are carrying out the desires of the flesh, by implication is we are not then walking by the Spirit. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is called to be a holy bride, a bride that is washed and ready by God's word for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where holiness must be found in this world. If ever there's to be found any holiness in this world, it must be in the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be those that walk by the Spirit of God. And so that would be the chief, I think, of all of what I've said above. If you didn't hear anything I said, hear this. Walk by the Spirit of God, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And that is the personal responsibility of every single individual Christian before it becomes the corporate responsibility of that whole local church. So... As a, as a means of final application, are you, dear listener, walking by the Spirit of God? That is your chief responsibility. Walk by the Spirit of God and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then corporately, as a body of Christ in our country, let us walk by the Spirit of God so that we, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which sadly has had many scandals, has had many scandals even throughout the ages because there's often false believers as well. There's often goats amongst the sheep. There's often wolves amongst the sheep in sheep's clothing. But may we be a people that do not gratify the desires of the flesh, but rather walking by the Spirit. You need a breather after that. You need to think this over, what Rocky has just said. Mull it over 
to stand before the Lord in your heart. Ricardo, unchained, and when we come back, 0826572729. Is your question in? You have a question? Send it through. We'll be tackling them in this program until 12. Skriftierlik tot en met 12 uur vanmiddag. As jy vraag het, iemand het ergens iets oor die Bijbel gesê, iets wat nie vir jou sin maak nie, is die program waar jy uitgedaag word om jezelf te gaan onderzoek in die woord van die Heere, in die speel van die woord. En ek vertrouw dat jy die program leersaam vind. As jy een vraag het, stuur het vir ons in 082-052-657-2729. 082-Wadekom Netwerk, 657 die frekwensie waarop ons uitsaai en dan 2729. Uh, sit die skrifgedeeltes by, dit waar we jy vraag, en uh, nou ja, ons is terug net die na. Baie dankie vir al die vraag wat so instroom. Uh, Matthijs Swannepoel, ons gaan nou by jou vraag hier uitkom, maar ons is terug net die na. Gee jy geloof vleels, ontdek die lewe saam met 657 AM. Ontdek jy lewe, ontdek jy woord van die Heere, saam met 657 AM. Rokkie, ons het een vraag gehad van iemand wat vir ons een vraagje ingestuur het, Marianne de Toe, sê, my question is, who is going to live on the new earth and the new heaven? Ek dink ons het het al van tevore bespreek, Rokkie, but what do we answer in a nutshell? Ja, yeah, um, I think it's a wonderful question and it's wonderful to even think about who's going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. And according to the Bible, those who will inherit the new earth and the new heaven are are primarily described as firstly believers in Christ. So that would be the the number one way that we see this. And the Bible indicates now this, of course, um, I step out onto kind of thin ice in regard to just saying believers in Christ, because you could you could be a believer in Christ, but not actually saved. And what I mean by that is that you have those that were even in the Gospel of John that believed on him until he started saying difficult things like yeah. you need to eat my flesh, drink my my blood, and they're going, oh, no, we can't even, we can't accept this. And many of them ran away from him, and he turns to his own disciples and he says to him, do you also want to go because you can't actually handle my word, you can't yeah. take in my word? And so there was that believing in Christ that actually was believing on him for what I can get from him. The not, Bible says demons believe in exactly, Christ and they and shudder with fear. That's exactly the next reference I was going to say in regard to James. And James touches on that as well. He says, you know, well, you say you believe. Well, you know, do you want to pat yourself on the back? Because even the demons believe in Jesus. And that's a, a critical reality. And maybe there's a listener that's going, well, I do believe in Jesus. You know, I believe that Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus died, that he rose again three days later, that he's ascended on high. But actually, is he your personal Lord and your Savior? Have you believed on him in such a way that you trust in him? It's one thing knowing that a chair You're can hold your weight, but it's a whole other thing going and sitting on that chair yeah. and trusting that that chair is going to hold you, that he's going to be uh, yours forevermore and that you will be his forevermore. And then Romans 10 says it quite clearly that those that 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 will confess that Jesus is Lord with a mouth and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, such a one will be saved. And I think there's some people that sometimes do believe, 
But they've never ever confessed him. They've never said even with their lips, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. Please enter in to my life and change it because I've never been filled with you. I've I've thought about you. I've had you in my mind. And one of my lecturers said at seminary, the big difference between heaven and hell is 30 centimeters between the head and the heart. And that's a reality. So it's another thing, actually, truly trusting in him. But the Bible indicates that those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ and have accepted him as their Lord and their Savior will have a place in heaven and in the, a place in the heaven and the new earth. And they, this is often associated with passages even like Revelation 21, verse 1 to 7, where we speak and, and where the Bible speaks about the new heaven and the new earth. Listen to that passage. It says this in Revelation 21, 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. So the definition there of the people that are there are his people, those that are his, that belong to him. And then it says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for those words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, They are done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. So there's another definition of those that will inherit the new heaven and the new earth. It's those that thirst. What are you thirsting for? Well, thirsting for righteousness. Are you thirsting for righteousness? Then then it may be that you somebody that will be quenched at this moment. And then verse 7, he says, he who overcomes will inherit these things. So there's the indication of those that inherit the new heaven and the new earth, those that overcome. And I will be God, be his God and he will be my son. And so what are we speaking about? We're speaking about the redeemed. We're speaking about those that overcome. The redeemed are even there later on in Revelation 21, 24 to 27, described as those that are in the new heaven and the new earth and listen to what it says there and the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be closed by day for there will be no night there and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it and nothing defiled verse 27 here of uh, Revelation 21, and nothing defiled, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we're speaking about the redeemed. We're speaking about the faithful. And if we're thinking about those that overcome, it takes us back to Revelation 2 verse 7, which says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so we're speaking also about the righteous. The new heaven and the new earth represents a realm of righteousness and holiness. Like Psalm 37 verse 29 says, The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. So a simple answer to the question, who will inherit the new heaven and new earth? It is those that are the righteous before the Lord, those that are faithful, those that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And then the question, I guess, would be, oh, will you be there? Dear listener, will you be there? Will Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? It's one thing knowing you're a sinner. 
It's another thing knowing that Jesus is the Savior for sinners, but it's a whole other thing when Jesus becomes your Savior and your Lord. Wow. Super stuff. Marion Detoy, bless your heart. Thank you so much. Interesting question and challenging answer to search your own heart to make sure. Are you 100% sure you are saved this morning? Oh, wait, two, six, five, seven, two, seven, two, nine. All the way from Amamzintauti, Thijs Vannepoel, Langklaas van jou gehoor, en dankie vir jou luister na die program. Hy sê, is het recht met die volgende stelling? Ons wedergeboorte is een voltooide en afgehandelde werk, en ons kan niks daarby voeg nie. Punt. Daarom is heiligmaking in die geloof, die ontdekking van die wedergeboorte, reed tijdens die wedergeboorte ontvang, waarvan die wedergeborene dan onbewus is. Hy sê, dis is iemand wat een miljoen rand in die bank het, maar onbewus is daarvan. Daarom is het zo so belangrijk om ons identiteit in Christus te ontdek. Some comments on that, uh, he, the, what Taisa said? Yes. Yeah, um, I, I do think it is correct when you're speaking about regeneration. Excuse me, I need to sneeze. Does he? He had net gauw vinnig genies daar so, en ons het net gauw vinnig die microfoon toegemaak. 082-657-2729. Away to 657-2729. If you've got a question, you're welcome to send it in, and we'll tackle it. We're only here till 12 o'clock, so we've got another, what is it at the moment? We've got another 8 minutes to go. 8 minuten om te gaan, so jy sal met roer as jy jou vraag dan wil inkry. Um, ons het vir Rocky gevra, some comments, some remarks on what Thijs has posted here on WhatsApp, Rocky. Yeah, yeah sorry about that. Um, thank you for blocking the microphone. That would have probably um, given our listeners such a big fright there because you know it's better, better out than in with a sneeze. But uh, regeneration refers to that spiritual rebirth or the renewal of a person's in, inner nature. And by the Holy Spirit. So you write in saying that there's no change to that. You know, what, that's a once-off act. In a sense, there's even what we would call justification. And justification is a legal kind of a transition that happens where once you were guilty, but now you declared not guilty. And justification has two elements to it. That justification is that you, it's, it's as though you never ever sinned against God. So all of your sins are taken away. But then also you're receiving righteousness. You're receiving a, a, a glorious righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ at justification. So that regeneration is really speaking about that being born again element. And I do think part of what your question, Yates, um, helps us to think through is when you think of being born, you know, I've got, uh, we've got two little ones and I've got a third one on the way. Maxine, my wife, is pregnant and that little one will be born. But that little one will be absolutely loved by us from the moment that that little one is born. But all that little one's going to do is scream and cry and want to have a, a, a nappy changed or have milkies from mommy. And there's going to be all of that. But that relationship that's there between mom and dad and this baby is there from already. I'm already talking to the baby in the tummy. I'm so excited about baby coming. There's, but that baby's born. He gets the name Stevenson. He's, he gets an equal share should mommy and daddy die, uh, God forbid, in a car accident. Uh, and our assets get split. Uh, no matter what happens, I mean, that baby's already an heir to, to whatever we have. 
and that's what it is with regeneration. But that sanctification is many resp- in many respects is that growing up. It's uh, enjoying the milk of God's word, but then also growing to start enjoying the food of God's word. And so justification becomes that growing like Christ element. Now, when we speak about justification in the theological realm, there's often confusion because you can speak of justification positionally, which speaks of kind of like that tablecloth that covers you kind of a justification where God looks and he sees you're justified and um, you've got that, or when I'm speaking about now, rather, sorry, that sanctification, that growing in, in godliness, you can have that positional sanctification and then you also have that progressive sanctification where you become more and more like the Lord Jesus. So when we're talking about something like regeneration, you can think about 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, which speaks of the new creation or being born again, John 3 verse 3. And when you're speaking about justification, you can think about something like Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 to 9, where you are saved by grace alone through faith. But then when we're speaking about something like that uh, growing in godliness and growing in Christ, we're speaking about that sanctification. And that is a lifelong journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. And you cannot have um, true justification and true regeneration if there isn't that sanctification that takes place afterwards. So in other words, what I'm saying is you're not saved by the good works you do as a Christian and the becoming like Jesus, you're saved by Jesus. But if you're not saved by Jesus, you will never ever become like Jesus. And so the works will begin to match that living or that reality of the born again element of being justified before God. As I thuis, ek hoop het maak sin vir jou, baie dankie vir jou deelname in die program, Lelani Taljaard, jy is volgende, she says, my question is simply this, I need practical advice on how to believe, do I keep my focus on God and not the situation, can you give me practical advice? Rocky, I want to add that another listener had said something else here, it says, do we as Christians take advice from individuals that had previous experiences in anything that you need at the moment? But the thing is, they are not Christian or go to church. Where do we get our advice from? Where do we get direction and and help me, uh, as, as Lalani yes. said here, uh, how do I keep my focus on God and not the situation? I'm already answering that second question first, and this is something that my six-year-old is already uh, memorizing. And so I, I wish I had him with me. I would have said, hey, Levi, maybe you can tell the listeners Psalm 1. And he would um, probably be too shy to do that on air. But uh, listen to Psalm 1. It says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, if somebody's not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, why would you go to them for the counsel? So if you want to be the blessed person, you're definitely not looking to the wicked for counsel. And then it says, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Where do you think you're going to be getting your counsel from then as a righteous individual? From God directly by his word, from chapter and verse. And then it says, and he will be like a tree that is 
firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Why are we trying to get advice? Usually it's because we're wanting to prosper, isn't it? We're yeah. wanting to do the right thing. We're wanting to, we're wanting to go the right way. We're wanting to produce fruit, etc. And what the Bible is telling us is that the word of God is absolutely sufficient for this. The wicked are not so, uh, the, that scripture says. So go and study Psalm 1. Practical advice in regard to believing in God. Um, I would say again, study the Bible. That is a way that you can believe God. You must first know about God if you're going to believe God. And the Bible is all about knowing God. We talk about the Bible as the revelation of God because God reveals himself. Praise God that he actually speaks. He communicates. He tells us who he is. And we can know who God is. And in particular, in the most wonderful way through the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the very exact image of the invisible God. And so Jesus is revealed to us. So know the Bible, then you'll be able to believe the Bible and you'll be able to believe God. Now, we don't have a faith simply in faith. And that's something that I think is a a, a unique folly in our day in particular. People tend to just have this belief in belief. How can you have a belief in belief? Belief is in the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So study the Bible, then you'll be able to love God and be able to do what God says. And then pray. You know, you can ask God to help you to believe. You think of that man, I'm reminded of him now, that man that comes with his boy to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, do you believe? And he says, yes, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. That is a prayer that God loves to hear from his people. When we're battling to believe, ask him to help us to believe. But then if you're battling to pray, ask him to help you to pray. We struggled this morning. We spoke about it. John, even in prison, uh, just before being beheaded, sending a message back and saying, Lord, are you the one or are we to await another one? Crying out to the Lord. Say, Lord, just assure me. Yes, and the Lord marvelously does assure him. Jesus actually responds with a quote from Isaiah and says to him, go tell him the deaf hear and the the blind see and the dead are raised. Scripture Um, speaks loud. and so they go and they tell him, and, and soon after that, John would be beheaded. You know, yeah. But he would then be with Jesus later. Um, community would be the next thing that I would say. And, and I would say if you're battling with belief, you need to have a, a, a Bible-believing church that you are part of that will help you in your belief. And then worship. You know, I think that we sometimes are so worried about what is this going to impact me, but real belief is rooted in the worship of the Lord. Real belief actually looks to God and seeks to please God. And many times, here's part of our problem sometimes when it comes to prayer. Our prayers so often are to try and get God manipulated into our mold, when real biblical prayer is us actually yielding ourselves humbly before God underneath Christ. And real biblical prayer then is actually us aligning ourselves with God's will. So sometimes we will say, well, I need to really believe so that I can pray so that I can get this thing that I want. No, sometimes you don't receive the stuff that you want uh, because you're not asking rightly and you were asking to spend it on your passions and God in his mercy has said no to you about that. So he's given you an answer to your prayer. You just don't like his answer. And so what real biblical prayer does is it yields towards God's will. And then I would say scripture memorization would be another way to help you in your belief. And then also seeking um, answers from God's word and asking him in prayer. And then as you serve the Lord, that also helps you in your belief as you actually practice the, the that which God has given you. And then I would say also being patient before God and um and really asking him to reveal himself to you in his word, in his own timing, in your own life. And then 
um, I, I guess patience. You know, patience is something that that is a lost art in our day. Um, being patient to to get answers over time from the Lord, um, and 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 I hope that is helpful in regard to to just growing in belief. Lelani Taliata, bless your heart. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for that question. And bye, donkey. For the vraag wat jy ook ingestuurd. So Rocky, just in short, we've literally got thirty seconds, and I see there's a question: Can I lose my salvation? Uh, We've spoken on this at length here at this radio station. Uh, Is there time enough to answer this listener? We've got 30 seconds left. If if you are indeed saved, and that is that you trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross for you, the biblical faith that we have in the Word of God, if you are indeed born again, you can never be snatched out of his hand. Uh, John 10, 27, 28, if you are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture, you'll never be snatched out of his hand. The, the, the question is a difficult one in that we don't know if you truly are saved, but God does, and in your own conscience you may know. And sadly, some people believe that they're saved when they are not saved. And then you don't have a salvation at all, and therefore you would lose even that assurance that you have in that false Salvation. We back to that walking in the Spirit, the walking indeed. by the fruit you will know. But if indeed you are saved, you can never ever lose it. Yeah, you can it. lose the assurance of salvation yeah. because assurance of salvation is a gift from God. And that you could lose, but you cannot lose your salvation. Yet to see an apple tree with a banner on top that tells the world, I'm an apple tree, by the fruit you will be known. Mm-hmm. Pastor Rocky, bless your heart. Thank you so much. Time is caught up. We're with us. People want to write you an email, be in touch with you. How do they get hold of you? Welcome to do that at pastor at bononibiblechurch.co.za. Next week, God willing, thank you so much for watching on YouTube, on Facebook, uh, listening to us. There will also be a podcast later on about the, the program. Do tell your friends about it. Join us every Tuesday. And if you've got a question from God's Word, something you're struggling with, battling with, send it through to us. And uh, it will indeed be a privilege to delve with you into God's Word, finding the answers that we so desperately need. Till next week, search the Scripture to see if these things are so Acts 17, 11 and if you want to write Rocky an email pastor at the Benoni Bible Church dot co dot za till next time keep well God bless you Shalom